Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to episode 158 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg, and this episode is with Nathan Apo. You can follow him on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at elusive underscore sausage. We never quite got to the bottom of why he calls himself that. I'll leave that for you to decide. Uh, this episode is brought to you by all the wonderful people that support the show through Patreon. Patreon.com slash Osher is a way that you can help this show come to air each and every week. Um, for as little as five bucks a month of pledging, you can uh, get access to exclusive episodes and there's some news on the exclusivity coming soon, soon, soon. Um, but yeah, I make an exclusive episode as often as I can and I post it up to a link that only you will have. And uh, there's been a couple of really good ones on there. Um, some more recording, some more this week. Um, but yeah, this episode is, I'm only making this show in 2016 because of the wonderful support of people like yourselves for about the price of a fancy cup of coffee. If you can afford five bucks a month to spare, that will help this show come to air each and every week. I use it to pay my audio producer, Andy Ma, who makes the show for me. He cuts it all together and mixes it and makes it sound sweet. Um, I do, however, also give away the exclusive, exclusive episodes to someone who rates the show on iTunes. Rating on iTunes really helps more people find out about the show. And this rating comes from this week. It's Carlaris. Uh, Carlaris. If that's you, Carlaris, send me an email. Send Osher email at gmail.com. Carlaris has written a very lovely um, podcast review. I'm a... Uh, love, I love it when you have political style interviews as I'm from the UK, now I'm an Australian citizen. Oh, me too. It's important to hear about the history of Australia, current issues, and learn what the people of Australia believe is important. You're going to, well, it's only me. 
I have a fairly biased view. So, but thank you for your, yes. Uh, you have issues in your family of mental health. I'm always trying to tell them it's okay to talk about it. They haven't agreed to it yet. My point is you speaking honestly and frankly about your health as, as a man in the media is fantastic. I imagine it helps others as much. Um, I feel like I have a new friend. Oh, it's very, very sweet of you, uh, Calories. Thank you so, so much. Please do email me, send us your email at gmail.com. I'll get those exclusive episodes to you wherever you are today. I would love it if you could send me a podsy. That is a photo you take with your phone. It's super easy. Um, just tag me on Snapchat or Instagram or email me wherever you are. Just I'd love to see where you're listening. There's been some great ones coming through. A lot of people walking the dog. A lot of people doing laundry. I'm very happy to make sure the clothes of Australia are clean, helping out. I have been moving house this week, um, so I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, a lot of, lot of dollop, a lot of smartest man in the world uh, at the moment. Um, but, yeah, I know that a lot of people listen to podcasts while you do something else, so I'd love to hear what you uh, see, see what you see when you hear what I'm making. Does that make good? Yeah. Anyway, hashtag Podsy, P-O-D-S-I-E. Hope your week was good. Like I told you, I, I decided um, to move this weekend, which is great, but I um, forgot to plan anything. And so um, dear Audrey, my beautiful fiancé, has managed to pick up an enormous amount of slack where I had left as far as organising removalists and boxes and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm unable to i was going to ride in the um sydney to wollongong uh, multiple sclerosis ride this weekend but i i can't do it um i was spewing because i really wanted to do it yeah but i just can't uh, just just can't happen unfortunately because i've got to pack up move house leases end gotta go um i hit a milestone this week team it's a it's a weird one um, because I've recently changed meds and when I changed meds, my doctor didn't say, listen, just get a scale, get a scale so we can keep a track on things because these meds do cause weight gain. And I jumped on a scale and I don't know, numbers and numbers and number, but I jumped on the scale today. I hit 90 kilos. Now I haven't been 90 kilos since back when I was drinking. All right. So, but back then I was drinking that much beer. I must've been drinking 2000 calories a day as well as all the stuff that I was eating. And, you know, a fourth dinner is always a good idea when you're smashed. So yeah, I hit 90 kilos this weekend. Oh man, the bummer is that the meds are really good and I'm feeling the least crazy I've felt in about three years. And when I say crazy, I mean actual crazy, all right? Not, you know, crazy in love or crazy for you or uh, crazy like a fox. I mean actual, you know, seeing shit that isn't there. <laughs> uh, so these new meds are really handy because they make everything a lot better and life's a lot easier and I'm a lot easier to be around. But it sucks because one of the side effects is weight gain. Now, I was on some other antipsychotics. I'm not on antipsychotics at the moment, but I was on some antipsychotics and they just, I was piling on like a kilo of a week. Um, I was running out of clothes. Uh, I wasn't weighing myself back then. I just, I just know that I couldn't, like I couldn't even fit the clothes I'm wearing now back then. So I have been bigger. But when I stopped those meds, the weight did come off again. But these new meds, I'm telling you, I'm just, I guess I'm just going to have to be at peace that if I want to feel this way, as in not nuts, I have to be okay with being kind of more doughy than I'd like to be. But to be honest, I'd rather be 
doughy and sane than skinny and crazy. Um, and it sucks, you know, because people talk about, you know, body shaming and talking about, you know, impossible beauty standards for women, but they exist for men as well. I mean, and I'm like, I'm in a job that you're exposed to all the time. You know, I'm just surrounded by shirtless, hot bachelor dudes and they are gorgeous. And oh my God, I look at these guys' bodies. I'm like, I'll never have a body like that. It'll never happen. Um, but yes, I'm just, I'm just trying to be okay with that. I'm just trying to find the peace in my heart that, okay, I'm just going to be bigger. Um, and trying to dress that weird fucked up body shame I've got from when I was like super fat as a kid. So that's another issue. So I guess I'm just going to be a little bit bigger on my wedding day. And that'll be it. <laughs> I'm just going to have to be okay with it. Um, and I am okay with it. Well, am I? I don't know. I just not, it's nice not being nuts. But anyway, I've been trying to exercise a bit more, trying to throw some different stuff in. Um, I uh, got a sledgehammer the other day. My little brother and my sister-in-law live out uh, in, the, in the burbs in Brisbane. And I live with them when I'm up there for radio and um, they just got this new house and they're redoing it. And um, there's an old fish pond in the back that needed removing. And so I said, can I get a sledgehammer and just smash the fuck out of it? And he said, yeah, sure, go for it. Got to tell you, if you haven't broken some really heavy concrete up with a sledgehammer, you should give it a shot because you feel really good when it's done. You can visualize things and people and <laughs> you can hold angry thoughts in your head and just hit this massive chunk of concrete and, you know, <laughs> watch the thing crack and splinter apart and it's really satisfying. Yeah, I recommend it highly. <laughs> just... <laughs> good <laughs> sledgy and i i can only do it for about an hour before i fall over though so i'm looking forward to getting back into sledgy um this week when i get it back up to brisbane um speaking of brisbane that's where i met my guest this week so let me tell you about him nathan appo is an athlete he's an activist he's a tv host and he's a health and lifestyle officer for deadly choices which is an initiative targeting urban indigenous health, particularly particularly the mental health of young Indigenous men. Now, Nathan is a cracking human being. He's a lovely bloke. He reached out to me on Twitter. He saw me wearing an Aboriginal flag in a, in a Twitter photo and he reached out to me. He was like, man, that's, that's great of you. And I was very grateful that he did, but it's, uh, it's important for me to wear that stuff. And it's important for me to, you know, speak out about, especially when there's all bloody racists running around trying to reclaim Australia. Fuck me. Get out of here, boys. And boys it's, it's always boys get out of here come on australia got invaded a long time ago by a bunch of immigrants and guess what it's us <laughs> um, nathan's a, he's a great guy he's a really really great guy he is um he works closely with movember which as you know is close to my heart i'm proud again to be a movember ambassador this year and um you can donate if you like what you hear you're hearing, hearing what nathan's talking about and the motivation behind his work, his community work, um, you can find him online and donate to his cause, mobro.co, that's M-O-B-R-O.co slash deadly choices, as in the word deadly and choices, all one word. Um, he's been grateful. I'm very grateful to him. 
I should say I'm very, very grateful to Nathan for allowing me to come on board as part of his Movember team. So if you donate money to me for Movember, that's just mobro.co slash osher. If you donate money to me for Movember, it is a part of uh, Nathan's team and I couldn't be more proud to be a part of raising money for his cause, which um, is, is you know, something that I'm also very passionate about, as you know, is... Uh, you know, raising awareness of mental health issues in the community and most certainly doing what I can, uh, whatever I can, for the Indigenous community of, of our country. Nathan's a really great guy. He's a fantastic human being. I, I did record this in the radio station where I work, so you will possibly hear the bleeding through of pop music and the odd PA announcement, so I apologise for that. But do let uh, Nathan know that you heard him here on the show. Please donate to his Movember campaign, mobro.co slash deadlychoices. And uh, follow him on Twitter, at elusive underscore sausage. Once again, I never got to the bottom of why he has that as his Twitter handle. Hmm. Uh, I hope you enjoy the show. Yeah, it's, um, I catch the uh, I catch an Uber in in the morning. Yeah, and then I take a I've got a folding bike, which I put in the boot of the Uber, <laughs> and then I uh, take the train home. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, I do see your photos of um, when you're travelling home. It's good, man. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Um, I, actually, li- I like the train rides home. They're always interesting. I used to be so full of myself. I used to be so like almost allergic to public transport. <laughs> there was a time in my life where I was almost like I was allergic to economy class. Yeah. I yeah. wasted so much fucking money on, <laughs> on I don't know, I've got to fly to business to Sydney. It's like, it's, fuck it, it's 45 minutes yeah. sitting in a chair. But yeah, I, that's right. you know, I have to pay $800 more so I can sit in the front. <laughs> so people can walk past you and look down at you going, I wonder what he does. It was such a... Uh... <laughs> I'm the same. I hated public transport. I, I used to do it at school on the buses. I hated it. And then uh, I got to a stage where I'm, I'm just enjoying it because I, I work out at Dara. Yeah. Uh, love catching trains out there, two trains out there and back. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's good fun. It's um, always exciting. It's um, some characters out there. Yeah, I've always I like to joke that my my train station Gales is the first one where there's a Queensland Whale Rail. I'd like to tell you that there's heaps of video surveillance, so don't get up to nefarious shit. We've got you on camera. Yeah. All the other stations up to there yeah, is no, like, no, have a great day, have a great day yeah. Queensland Rail. Yeah. Thanks you for travelling. Yeah, and the train inductors and they were waving to you see yeah. you later, no and, one and everyone Gales. else just staring. Yeah, there's no one at Gales. No, I was at the other day. It was the classic. I got off the train. <coughs> this bloke walks straight to me. How you going, mate? <laughs> yeah. Nice day, isn't it? Is it worker or just no, a worker? No, just oh, a dude. Just, uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm just checking inside of me like any moment someone's going to come. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've seen this one before. Someone's casing me. One's yeah. distracting, the yeah. other one's yeah. coming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was wild. So where, where did you grow up? In Brisbane or further uh, north? No, originally uh, in Innisfail, far north Queensland. Yeah. Grew up there, born and bred. Okay, um, so let's talk. Okay, so people listen to this podcast all over the place. How can you describe Innisfail? Oh, well, it's a beautiful place. Not many people live there. Um, Green everywhere. Um, Everyone knows everyone's business. Um, But, yeah, great place to grow up. Yeah. Um, Footy is life. Um, Fishing is life. That's about it. So, uh, league? Yeah, league. Okay. And which part, when you're looking at a map of Australia... There's the pointy bit on the right-hand yep. side. Is it near there? Not so far up. Um, so when you get to about Cairns, uh, we're about an hour and a half south of Cairns. So, oh, okay. Yeah, in between sort of 
Cairns and Townsville, sort of in that area. But um, the part of the country where it, in certain yeah, times you, yeah. you can't go swimming because there's stingers um, and all that. Well, yeah, well, we've got crocodiles, so oh, yeah. um, you, don't, you don't really go swimming anywhere. Um, <laughs> you can. Like, we, we growing up, crocodiles weren't really an issue. Um, you sort of kept an eye out, sort of, we had, where we were swimming, you could keep an eye out and see the crocodiles sunbaking. So if you didn't see them, you were allowed to swim. So it was like that. So, Hang on. So if you saw them on the <laughs> bank, you're okay. You can go in on the other side of the river, go for a swim. But if you've got someone, have to keep an eye out, just like you at Gales. So, <laughs> if you Gales oh, oh, I get yeah. it. so if you can't see the crocs, yeah, means the crocs are in the water. Yeah, pretty much. Good lord. So you you had you were pretty had to be a confident swimmer, oh, and that's how you learn swimming as well. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, beautiful country, beautiful people, um, and. Yeah, you, you can't complain growing up in a, a place like that. You know, everyone's yeah. sort of family and friends. Everyone knows what you're doing and you've always got plenty of support. So, I mean, you know, growing up in sort of like a country sort of town, it's um, you know, very useful, you know, and yeah. sort of really keeps you grounded when you're moving on in life. And are you from a big family, a small family? Uh, well, well, I come from an Indigenous family. So we've we, we got, a, I got a, a brother and sister, mother and father, but with this extended families, um, I've got, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, you know, extended so cousins and stuff. So. Let's talk a little about that. Because my fiance, okay. she's Fijian. Yeah. And the easy way, she says, listen, anyone your age is cousin yeah. and anyone older is auntie or uncle. Pretty much. That's and exactly. anyone older than that, yep. well, they're probably, you know, probably grandpa or, yep. or grandma. Yep. Now, that's, that's a perfect way to put it. We just stayed, but here's the thing, we just stayed in New Zealand. My brother got married. We stayed with Audrey's cousin. Yep. She's not blood related at all. But the parents were so close and the kids grew up together, they call each other cousins. Yeah, yeah, cousins, yeah. I guess that's um, how tight, you know, some cultural groups are, families are. Yeah. Um, you know, I have cousins that I've just met, you know, through... Um, my third cousin or or because my my grandfather my grandfather was one of ten and then each one of them had 10 to 15 kids so um, you can do the math there's so many and um, I mean we're just all so close and that's how extended families are and um, they may not be blood related or but like you said if they're older than us, they're mm. aunties or uncles and then you've got your grandparents after that and and a lot of it comes back to respect as well I think um, in indigenous communities, we really respect our elders. Um, doesn't matter who they are. Um, you know, they've they've walked that line, they've walked that that journey, and they've got that experience. So, you know, we can only you know educate ourselves as much as we can from them, and they're our storytellers. So, um, it's I mean, that's where I guess that respect thing comes into it. So, you you grew up in a house, I'm guessing, with heaps of people in it. Yeah. Well, my mum and dad, brother, brother and sister. Uh, well, my brother was actually adopted out when he was younger. We found him a few years ago, um, which is another really cool story in the back end. But um, where we lived in Ennisfold, we always had families around us. So we were always um, mingling and, and doing things with families all the time, whether it's sporting events, eating, um, you know, uh, birthdays, everything. Something was always on and we were always together. So it, it got to a stage where my first cousins weren't just first cousins. They're actually brothers and sisters. Right. So, yeah. Even closer than Even that. Even closer than that, yeah. So, and I, I talk to my cousins and my aunties up back at, up home, you know, every day. That they, they, were that close. So, mm. tell me about the brother that was adopted. Yeah. So, uh, back in the day, my, my mum and dad, when mum was uh, I think sixteen, she adopted had had my mum, my brother, 
and um, they adopted him out. My mum had to move down to Brisbane. Um, there's a lot of pressure from my grandmother and, and I guess society around that time to you know, have a kid at that age. And um, so mum sort of moved down here, um, got a job, lived down here, didn't know anyone. Um, Hang on, so why did she move away from this well, incredible support structure? Uh, in, in those times, it was frowned upon to have um, have, a, have a kid out of wedlock. An unwed and, teenage yeah, mother. Yeah, and, and my, my mother's Indigenous, my, my father's Indigenous, but my, my grandparents come from a time where it was frowned upon to be Indigenous. Hmm. So they had to sort of mingle and, and sort of unidentified being Indigenous. So it was very tough for them going through that stage. And you can't deny, you know, the feelings and what happened at that, t- that stage, you know, with the whole stolen generation and, and growing up in a town um, like Ennisfile, you know, we had a lot of support, but for them it was frowned upon. So my mum made a decision to move down here, didn't tell my dad, um, moved down here, um, lived down here, had to work, had my brother Wade, adopted him out straight away. You know, didn't see where he went. Um, you know, lived down here for a few years, uh, moved back home, and then my mum and dad sort of got back together, walking down the street, and then they got back together at some stage, I don't know how, and, and um, the rules changed about uh, finding out your adopted parents, and um, my mum actually got onto the family somehow through the adopted agency and said, like, this is, I'm, I'm um, the mother, uh, I'd love to maybe meet, and... Um, they said, we've been searching for you as well. And this is when he was 18. Mm. Um, so it was an amazing transition and um, for my brother to meet all of his family. And the crazy thing was when my, my bro- mum and dad first moved, come down here to find, find Wade, um, they took him out to Ipswich where all, his family, where all our family were. And he'd be like, oh, I catch the train with you every day. What? Yeah, um, I go to TAFE with you and just... Crazy stuff. So he didn't like for that to happen was just mind blowing. Yeah. And for our cousins as well, and, and for me growing up, I always knew that I, I always felt that I had an older brother somehow. And then when mum and dad told me, I sort of I knew that was going to happen. So yeah, we've been tied ever since. And that's another reason why we moved down to Brisbane uh, to be closer to him. And and he had he had a, he grew up in a beautiful family at Redcliffe, um, a non-indigenous family, and um, we're all all very close. And um, yeah, just. Just thank God every day that we got to, you know, find him. Yeah. Mm. A mate of mine, he was adopted and um, the day they changed the laws in Queensland, um, the day they changed the law, he went and found. Yep. He went and found. Now he has he has two Christmases. He has yeah. yep. you know, four, essentially four parents. Yep. Which uh, it's, it, must be, it must be amazing, especially my, my brother coming from a non-Indigenous family and then having to learn this new culture pretty mm. much and, and how we interact with each other. Because so, it is very different, yeah. um, family structures. And, and um, you know, he's, he's an amazing, amazing guy and, and you know, yeah, can't, can't fault him. He's a good lad. Mm. So, yeah. Tell me a bit more about Innisfail. Is it the kind of town where, as anyone that's travelled in the kind of more rural Australia, I don't know how much it is now, but certainly in the 80s and 90s when I was driving around, there's the top pub, the bottom pub, and yeah. the black pub. Yeah. Is it that kind of town? Oh, I mean, you always hear stories that you, um, you know, with work, very tough to get work as an Indigenous man up there. But um, I think my parents were very lucky. Um, they always had very uh, strong uh, family networks. And, and my dad is a rugby league great up there. So anywhere he went, he could play football. 
mm-hmm. you're guaranteed to find some work. But it, it is, in, in those stages, it was very tough. You know? Yeah. You know, you, you, I hear stories about my grandfather. You know, he was a, a cane cutter back in the day. And, and the only way you could really stand out from the rest is really, really work hard, you work your butt off. And, and he was, he's a legend up there for cane cutting. And, um, you know, he, he didn't, there was no excuses for him. And I mean, it's brutal work, man. It, like, and, and not you know, cane cutting, like with a with a knife, cane knife, yeah. yeah. And just tough days, you know, twelve you know, twelve hour days just in the cane fields. And um, oh, mate, there's no way I'd ever do it. <laughs> Looking at me now, oh, yeah. I don't <laughs> think you'd find any anyone. <laughs> no, no way, dude. Like, go go and do that. No go way. and do that for twelve hours yeah. on a thirty six degree day, yeah. nonstop. Yeah. And then it's your body hurts so much at the end of the day. Yeah. You go to the pub, you drink a couple of schooners to oh, you, so your body doesn't hurt, then you get up at five the next morning and do it again. You want to do it again, yeah. Just amazing stuff. So, you know, there's always that element um, around the place, I guess, in, in country towns. But I think I grew up in a, um, a really lucky time mm. um, where Indigenous culture was very embraced up there because there's a lot of like, a big population of Indigenous yeah. people up there. So I think that helps as well. So, yeah. Are people... Uh, I'm... I'm, I'm and I've, I've said this on this show before, the more I read and the more I find out about uh, Australia's Indigenous population and, yeah. and the European invasion, the more I don't know. Yeah. So every time I turn a page in my book, I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to read five more books now because there's <laughs> yeah. so much I don't know. Yeah. So in that part of the world, are there people who are still living on country or are people kind of displaced? Yeah, no, no, the, the pe- people are very much living on country still and, okay. and, and living our, our law, our, our ways uh-huh. as well. And and I guess that's, um, I guess it's very, very, very lucky for them. It's a, it's a, to hear that they're able to live on country and live their laws. and Because mm. um, it's a little further away from like, Sydney and Brisbane where yeah, the but, kind of main European but thing people, happened. But people are still here, you know, talking language in urban areas as well. Mm. And they know where their tribes are. You know, they, 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 they still talk and, and respect our, our old ways still. Um, you know, you can't go out and, and you know, live the ways that they do now but in areas up north they, they still can and i think it's great because with part of the stolen generation you know a lot of people are disengaged from their community and being able to know where you're from um your your country where you, you know your, where your country's from is important it's that's that's our our um our connection to our people is our land so when you don't know that you feel disengaged with society i guess sometimes so i guess i'm very lucky to know where i'm from i know where my grandparents are from um their story and um you know got got some german my, my grand my grand great grandmother's from germany and and some ireland but I, I know where all my tribes are from and my connection to that to that land so mm. um for that i'm very very grateful to know that mm. how old were you when as a kid you think the world is the same for everybody mm. how old were you when you started to realize that Oh, I'm from a part of society that's a little different to the mainstream thing that I see on the telly or, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I, I guess not till when I was maybe I was 13 when I first moved to Brisbane. Um, up there, like white fellas and black fellas, we just interact like we're brothers and sisters and, and that's how the community is. Um, but when you move down here, it's very different. Um, you know, you sort of have to hang with the Indigenous mob, you know, you, you, you have these cultural barriers and... Um, like I, I, that's not sort of me. I, I never really liked that. I never really brought up like that. Um, so, you know, for me, it wasn't just you're indigenous. That's what you got to be. Um, I'm an, I'm a proud indigenous man, but you, I wanted to 
embrace all cultures and, and peoples and, and learn from different cultures as well. And, and I guess, um, and that's where my mum's come in. She's, you know, opened my eyes to a lot of current events and, you know, what's happening in the wor world around us. Um, but also understanding where we're from and the issues that we tackle every day here, mm. you know. So, um, I mean, there's plenty of instances, um, I guess, you know, because I used to play tennis um, full-time after I finished school. And at that stage, there wasn't many tennis players, Indigenous tennis players running around. And I always got frowned upon going to tennis tournaments and, you know, what are you doing here? You know, you should be playing rugby league or, you know. So I, I was very lucky that um, I got to... Um, play a sport um, where not, in, lot, not a lot of Indigenous people played but, um, or pursued a, a career in and my, my parents gave me that opportunity. But, you know, you always cop racism anywhere you go, whether the workplace, sporting events, it doesn't matter. But I guess, yeah, moving to the city really opened my eyes, yeah. Would have been a shock to, what was this, early 90s? Uh, yeah, I moved down here, uh, when was it? Uh, yeah, early 90s um, would have been, um, 95, mm -hmm. yeah, so... 95, moved down here, went to a, uh, Oxley Secondary College and then went to Corinda. And, um, yeah, I was only, there was like three or four Indigenous kids going to Corinda. And, um, I mean, I think that was good for me to embrace other cultures and stuff and, and sort of had to really stand out to, to be noticed, even mm. though I was Indigenous and one of the only black kids there. <laughs> so, but, yeah, I enjoyed it. Mm. But tennis, I mean, with your father, just, just to rewind just a second, what was it like? Growing up, going to see your dad play—that must have been yeah. pretty wild. I mean, in those stages, I um, only really got to watch dad coach and and always heard those stories of um, you know him playing league, you know, being a living legend up in um, Innisfail and playing far north Queensland football. And and in those days, it was uh, the Foley Shield. So you know, to to see dad's um, like his the respect that he had from his community and people just from a career of rugby league was inspiring, but I knew it wasn't just rugby league. I, you, started to, you started to think and see the stuff he did in the community, how, you know, stories that he supported young blackfellas coming to the club you know, by getting them a job and supporting them, getting them over for dinner, you know, being that support network. And you hear stories like that and that sort of just fueled my fire in wanting to always give back to my community somehow. Um, and it's people like that who just make you want to, I mean... Did he explicitly say? Yeah. Did he explicitly say, Nathan? No. You just like Look, it's just a given that I'm going to be this man for this kid that's coming into our house. All right. No, he didn't really say that. He he didn't sort of talk it up. Mm. Um, it's he sort of you hear these stories and and you, if you meet my dad, it was just always that's our role. You know, everyone has a role within our community for our people, and that was his at that stage and. And he moved on to education, work, getting, people, getting Indigenous people into the police force, um, stuff like that. And, and he does amazing stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm blessed that I've got people around me that have sort of, you know, driven me to, you know, be where I am today and, and have that sort of outlook. Was there a pressure for you to play league? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I've had cousins also playing in the NRL uh, and over in Super League, um, you know, who've played uh, top level rugby league and, and from my father he always wanted me to play league but I guess he's always supported me to do whatever I wanted to and and, and focus on something that I enjoy and at that stage it was tennis. So What was it about tennis? I don't know. Um, well the football fields were right next to the tennis centre so I was like oh wouldn't mind trying that. I had a try, went okay and then just pursued it for years after yeah. that. I uh, travelled overseas for a little bit. Yeah um, you did, you went to Europe and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I was 
amazing trip over there over to France and and um, I was so lucky to um, have had the opportunity to come in contact with Yvonne Gulligan. She was actually my mentor for a few years. Wow. And um, and her journey, you know, obviously everyone knows about her journey and, you know, to be able to have her to ring up, have a chat, you know, she used to send me gear, rackets, wow. and I was like just blown away. You know, I had this lady who's who won Wimbledon, you know, won, you know, Grand Slams, you know, just world-renowned mm. women's tennis player, legend. And to have someone like that to bounce ideas off and give me a call now and then was just amazing. How did so, you meet her? Um, actually, I can't even remember. I think it was, um, I was actually Uncle Charlie Perkins. You remember Uncle yeah. Charlie Perkins, soccer, soccer great, Indigenous soccer great? He actually ran an Indigenous sporting program. Um, that invited 20, I think it was 20 or 30 Indigenous young up-and-coming sporting kids from around Australia. Went down to Canberra, went down the AIS for a couple of days. He organised that. Um, she wasn't there at that first, but I, but I got invited the year after and we went to uh, Ayers Rock, went to yeah, Uluru, and um, Yvonne was there. Um, had a chat with her. She said, stay in contact with me. Yeah, and it just grew from there. Wow. Um, she took me to the Owls Open one year. Um, yeah, train at Kuyong with her and just amazing. I mean, you know, not many people got to have that opportunity. Yeah. And, and I think for me, you know, being able to have those opportunities and see that, I mean, it just makes you want to be able to be that person mm. as she is. Um, and, and I guess that's why I've wanted to work in community so bad um, and sort of inspire my younger brothers, my, my cousins actually, my younger cousins. I, I want to be that support for them at some stage. So, um, you know, to, to have these strong individuals around me um, really helped me grow as a person. So, mm, it's yeah, so, it's so, so much a, a given in the European or Western Australia, uh, not Western Australia, but like Western society, that you have access to that kind of generational support network. Yep. All right. Yet, with so many things that happen, I'm only speaking as a, a white guy. I'm an immigrant no, no. man. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only speaking to someone who came to this country, you know, by you know, I came by plane. Um, you know, that with, as you mentioned, with a, a fractured family structure and like people being taken away and stuff like that, these kind of things are, are just not, just not there at all. And it's like, what was I thinking? Oh, the industrial relations yep. um, lady, she goes, I'll employ people should just start a business. Yep. They'll be fine. It's like, but she's speaking from a place yep. where they've got people around them where they say, oh, well, I need some funding. Who can I talk to? Bam. Okay. Who, some capital. I need someone who, yeah. yeah, I need some capital. I know, who do I know in marketing who can get me on the road here? Yeah. I know that person. Yeah. You know, and, you know, it's not, it's not. I've, I've, you know, it's probably a bigger conversation than you or I, well, I certainly have the capacity to get, but what would you like, okay, we'll get to that in the end. I'll come to that part. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk more about helping you out. Um, so you had the option, you were obviously, you know, working very hard at, you know, not many people get to pay the bills playing tennis. Yep. You know, that's a, you know, you're working from pay, prize money to and, prize and, money. Oh, yeah, and you're working prize money, prize money. And that stage I wasn't making a, any kind of prize money. Yeah. Like at that stage, this was straight out of school and my, my parents were supporting me. I had a bit of money coming in from um, Rio Tinto for a sponsorship there. And, um, you know, it was all you've got to pay a lot. So it was a bit of a strain on the family and, and 
mate, I, I, I can't fault my parents enough. Mate, mate they were unbelievable. Yeah. They just, they, um, they supported me as much as I could. And this was a dream that I always had and, and they supported me. So, um, but I got to a stage where I couldn't do it anymore. I hurt my back a few times and, um, and I was off work for about six months and, um, just, you know, got stuck in a rut, not doing really anything. Um, and, uh, sort of, I've always wanted to work in, um, health or, or work for my community. So I, I was lucky enough to, to work for an Aboriginal youth organisation called First Contact and um, as a sport and rec officer. I worked my way up. I was an admin first and uh, doing a bit of DJing on the weekends on the side. But um, I was there for about eight years and, and we ran programs to keep young Indigenous men engaged in um, sport. Um, you know, as, as um, you know, we have high rates of young Indigenous men that pass away from suicide and, and mental health. So it was important for us to sort of keep these young guys engaged and they love touch football. So I was lucky enough to run programs around that and um, and then from there I, I moved on to a, a new job working in health uh, called Deadly Choices. So I've been there ever since for six years now and, and loving it ever since. And um, I mean, we go back to the fact of... Um, you talked about having those networks, you know, and, and, you know, like we talked about that lady who wanted to, you know, just yeah, start up a business. Yeah, people should just start a job. We start, should, start, yeah, start exactly. your own company. You make your own money. Be your own boss. It'll be great. Yeah, exactly. And, and I guess that's, for me, I wanted to move into health because, I mean, I had these great links with the community and, and I could see that our community, they don't have those networks, mm. even around health. You know, when we talk about mental health, our, our young men, they don't, have these networks around them to look for support. They don't have the outlets to be able to sit down and say, oh, well, I'm struggling here. They don't have the mind frame to say, well, I'm, I'm stuck in a rut here. I'm, I'm, nothing's making me happy. I need to talk to someone. They don't have their support. So, yeah, I'm, I'll, I wanted to work in health and, and um, be a voice for the community, but sort of I wanted to be someone who the younger generation looks up to. You know, we've always had these strong role models come through that have, that have sort of, made me want to do be that person mm. like anthony mundine like uh, he's a good mate of good close family friend and um you know he gets the quick it's a bad rap a lot of the time but he does a lot of really good things for his community and that's what i respect uh he's got um so much self-confidence in himself that he he betrays that he just brushes off onto you well that's why people don't like him no exactly right that's why people, that's don't, why like people don't like him yeah, and, I've, I've, I've met him when he was playing for the broncos yeah and let's not forget the guy was an astonishing football player. He was good. He was good. An incredible football yep. player. Yep. And then went, I'm going to get this yep. boxing thing a go. And people have an issue with him because, well, I'm just going to say it, you know, people in this country at least, even if you're like as a white guy, if you say what you think and you can back it up with your actions, people, hey, hold on a second yeah. there, buddy. <laughs> but if you're from any kind of minority whatsoever, Freaks the fuck out of white people. It does, it does. And they get really scared. It does, yeah. And so, you know, obviously he's a rabble rouser, a troublemaker. <laughs> he's just really committed and really he's focused. Really committed. If anyone has ever tried any kind of boxing, yeah. do you have any idea how focused you've got to be, oh. how smart you've got to be? Boxing. The training regimen is just ridiculous. No, God. Ridiculous. And he's, I think we're about the same age. You might be a little younger than me. Yeah. But he's still so fit. But but what about he breaks these stereotypes down? You know, blackfellas, we're all supposed to be drunks, smokers, drug takers, you know, we're not supposed to be making money. Um, 
and he breaks them all down. You know, he's never smoked before, never drank before. Um, you know, any money he does make, a lot of it always goes back to his community and his family. He's looking after everyone. Um, and, I mean, that's what, that's what blackfellas do. That's what we do. We, we give back to our people somehow. We always do. So, uh, and that's how we've grown up. Mm. So, you know, he was always so inspiring and, and um, you know, Sometimes he stuffs out, you know, pretty outlandish and he, he speaks his mind and um, sometimes I wish, Chop, don't say that. But, you know, um, but, you know that's him. Um, that's yeah. why people love to hate him and that's why he's, his fights are always sold out and he's yeah. always making that moolay. So. Yeah, you're absolutely right. His fights are always sold out. That's right. He still gets in the ring. <laughs> yeah. I would never get in the ring. No way. Even in an, uh, not even an amateur fight would Charity? I get in the ring. Oh, if the other bloke was doing it for charity <laughs> yeah. and it started from zero as well, maybe. maybe. And I had headgear. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But otherwise, no I, way. Oh, I tried for a little while. I tried training, boxing training when I was living in Los Angeles. I was doing it for about, I don't know, six months. And about four months in, five months in, and my trainer's like, he called this kid that he was helping out. It's about 17, this yeah. kid, right? At this point, I'm like 33 or something. And he said, come on and spar with him. Come and spar with him for two rounds. I'm like, oh, all right. He goes, yeah, put this headgear on. I said, all right. And this kid, I did two rounds with this kid. <laughs> I, I didn't even, I didn't even, my, I wasn't even going to say I landed a punch because by the time my arm had moved, the kid was somewhere else on the canvas. All right. And I thought, shit, if this is what it takes. And I was rooted after two, two rounds, three minute rounds. I was so destroyed. I'm like, if this is what it takes, there's no way. <laughs> It made me respect it a lot. Did, did you get paid more. for it? Because surely. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I thought you were going to go into a story around no. boxer size. And no. I was like, boxer size is God, boxing. No. <laughs> so tell me about uh, uh, deadly choices. For folks who are listening overseas, let's talk about that word for a minute. Let's talk about deadly for a moment. Yeah. What, what does it mean so, in, the, in, the, in the community? So deadly, in our community, it's a good word. Yeah. It's hip, you know, sick. Um, so a lot of people think... Uh, well, non-Indigenous people think deadly is a bad work. You know, mm. usually it is deadly sharks out there or whatever it uh-huh. is. But but yeah, it's it's deadly means good, cool. So so the whole campaign around deadly choices is if you make healthy choices, you make deadly choices. So yeah. um, that whole campaign rolled out a few years ago. Um, we have programs attached to it, educating our kids around healthy living. And that's what I used to do: go into schools and educate kids around um, you know why it's important to. Um, drink two litres of water today. Uh, why is it important to have breakfast? Um, but everything we do, our community events, um, our sporting events, um, has a focus. Our main objective is to get people, our people, to our Aboriginal medical services to get a health check. Um, a lot of barriers around our people going to the doctor. You know, there's, um, there's myths around people saying, if you go to the doctor, you won't come home. Because that's happened. It's happened. No, they've left it too long, gone to the doctor, he has uncle hasn't come home, you know. So you hear these myths, and this is what we're trying to break down. Um, I work for uh, the Institute for Urban Indigenous Health, and um, I was just hooked uh, being there for the first few weeks. Um, I remember you talked uh, in a podcast earlier about uh, Tom Cruise and how he just commands. Oh yeah. He commands uh, an audience, and the CEO at the time, oh, well, he's still there, Adrian Carsons. He talked to me about what he wanted to do around health and, and close the gap. You know, we're all trying to close the gap within health because we die 10 years younger. Sometimes it's the gap's even bigger in other areas um, than die 10 years younger than other um, non-Indigenous people, which is 
back to preventative diseases, you know, which is ridiculous, mm. you know, and, and that's um, access to health care and preventative um, programs. And, you know, he, he used to talk to me and, and um, tell me about what we wanted to achieve within what we're doing, and I was hooked. Yeah. Mate, he, you know, to have someone like that, and he's still there. Um, if it wasn't for him, a part of Deadly Choices, we, we wouldn't be where we are today. So when we first started, there was about... I think there are three or four Aboriginal medical services. So they're community-controlled health services that our, our people go to to get healthcare. Um, see a doctor. It's all free, um, a part of the Close the Gap. Um, and now we've got 18. We've built 18 in about five years. Wow. Um, so they're everywhere. So it's, it's Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's focusing on... Um, areas that we have high populations because we've got about 60,000 Indigenous people in southeast Queensland. And at that stage, I think we were doing about 250 health checks a year, which is crazy. It's not enough. And now we've, we're doing about 14,500. Right. So, yeah. So And you're able to get those some interventions happening yeah, in there. Yeah, and, and that's where we're able to pick up, diagnose people who have got di- type 2 diabetes, um, people who are smoking. Um, we can run programs for them to get them off, you know, get them off the smokes, um, but also get young kids immunised and, and stuff like that. So we're in a really, really uh, important position to promote healthy living. And, and we've got some really cool ambassadors like Sammy Thide. Um He's been a part of our program since the very start, Preston Campbell. And, um, yeah, we're very lucky to have these guys involved and we're kicking a lot of goals. Um, we've actually branched out to areas um, up in the North Queensland, Townsville, uh, Mackay, uh, Mount Isa, we're, we're down south in Wellington. Um, and, yeah, it's just exciting times for the, for the brand and, and what we're doing. So, yeah. When it comes to, uh, like, the, the general population of Australia, what – there's people who are probably listening um, and this audience is probably self-selecting, let's be honest, and that's lovely, <laughs> but there's – there's people who are listening or have uh, an attitude about Aboriginal people yep. um, or Indigenous people. What's the right way to say it? Is it okay to say both? Yeah, yeah. Indigenous is fine. Aboriginal people. Aboriginal, because it's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Yes. But when we say Indigenous, that's fine. That's Indigenous okay. and Torres Strait Islanders. So yeah. there, there is – it's probably changed a lot since when I grew up in Queensland. Yep. When Joe Bjelke peterson was yeah. in charge. Yeah. Things were very, very different. Yeah, they were. Then. Um, but – there's probably still a, uh, a, a, an invisible conversation that people have only because they don't know any better that's yeah. been passed yeah, on yeah, to yeah, them yeah. from yeah. older people yeah. about uh, Indigenous Australians. What would you like 
them to know? Like, how, how would you like yeah. to change that story? I think uh, I, I, you never, you never, you can't get angry with anyone that doesn't understand or know about indigenous cultures and where we've come from and, and our struggles. It's just sometimes they haven't been around it. They haven't mm. been educated. And I've always said, you know, um, education is the key. So, you know, whether I'm on Twitter or face to face, always take the time to educate someone. And I, I always encourage people to ask questions. And you know, from from the times of stolen generation, our, our people being you know, moved to you know, missions and, and other areas, we've always had this, uh, I mean, with law enforcement and going to the doctor, it, we've, been, we've had this displacement from society and we always have. And it's, it, we've seen changes. We, we are seeing changes and I'm, I'm optimistic, you know. Um, we see campaigns coming out and more funding being um, put into Indigenous health and, and, and it should be there. It, it, it's. I mean, indigenous health is everyone's business. You know, we people are people. Other people are from all around the country, all around the world, cannot believe how our First Nations people are treated here. It's ridiculous. You know, um, you know, for us to be you know, Louis Faroe, he was over here the other day. He he wrote a story around um, about not being able to see indigenous culture within Melbourne. And he was, he was sad about it or something like that. It, it's, it's ridiculous. So, I mean, Indigenous people are everywhere and there's organisations and I think you really need to go out and, and meet Indigenous people in their community. Yeah. Um, and because you, you are useful, you're part of the, the, the plan of, of, of helping Indigenous people grow and, and get us healthier because everyone's got a part to play. Mm. Um, whether you know you're in business or, or sporting events, um, everyone's got a part to play. And I mean, we live it every day. And you know, um, it's 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 hard to explain because you know a lot of people are going to look back and say, "Well, that happened 200 years ago. You know, we invade, invaded or, or resettled mm. here. We settled here 200 years ago. It wasn't wasn't my fault. You know, it was I understand it's not your fault, but." You can. You're a part of Australia. We're a part of Australia. For us to move on, support us. This is how we feel. Yeah. You know. And and there's issues that always pop up. Um, whether it's a flag or whether it's Australia Day, um, uh, Indigenous health. People say, well, we shouldn't be chuck, you know pushing so much money into Indigenous health because um, why aren't they doing that for the wider community? Um, but I mean, this is this is this is Australia's First Nations people. Yeah. You know, we should be looking after us. It's a, we it's, should be it's, this, we should be you know celebrating hmm. that we're the longest living culture in the world. It's the oldest continuous culture on the you planet. Know? Yeah, yeah you know, really why is. aren't we? Why aren't we? You know, celebrating that. Hmm. And it's, it it just doesn't happen. We see it all the time. Um, and it's it's sad every time Australia Day comes around or we talk about the flag and stuff like that. You know. Um, and in Indigenous communities too, we're, we're all we're very torn. Um, you know, people think, oh, we, we should be moving Australia Day or, or I hate the flag, you know, or I represent the flag because I've got family who are non-Indigenous as well. So, um, but, I mean, I think you've you got to be a part of it somehow. You know, NAIDOC week comes around each year, I think it's in July, uh, June or July, and that's a, a big week that we celebrate our culture. And any listeners out there, if you want to be a part of an Indigenous uh, event throughout your, in your town, go to NAIDOC Week. Mm-hmm. Um, speak to people and then that will give you a sense of how you can be a part of um, our, our, our culture. 
As you work in this kind of public health, particularly around, you know, an Indigenous community, a, a community that is uh, at, at maybe a different level of risk to certain, you know, health issues than, than the wider community, are there any countries around the world that you look to that have, ah, oh, they've done it pretty well over there? Let's see if we can emulate that. Yeah, I mean, New Zealand. New Zealand, are, you know, they're kicking a lot of goals around there. So uh, our cult culturally, we're very similar. Um, when we talk about our, our illnesses around diabetes and and smoking, so Indigenous people with with both, both of them imposed by a Western culture. Yeah, yeah, Let's yeah not that's, right, that's right. That's <laughs> right. So we, we talk about Australia. We're three percent of the population, but that's significant. Man. Yeah, yeah. But we have a, a t we got about a forty six percent tobacco rate of smokers, um, where it's I think it's a lot lower. I think it's sixteen or seventeen percent in non Indigenous, mm. and that's where all that illness come from. Um, you know, in New Zealand, um, because of the treaty. They've got Maori Parliament, so they're able to push through um, laws and and funding that are going to go straight to their people. You know, you know, we weren't allowed to vote, you know, till 1962. I think it was 67. 67. Yeah, you know, like, we, well, I was born in 74, so seven years before I was born, yeah. uh, your grandparents yeah. weren't considered humans. Exactly. So I we, mean, we weren't allowed to vote. Mind blowing. Yeah, you know, mind blowing. Yeah, you know, we weren't allowed to vote, so. Yeah. You know, we still have this, this detached connection to society when our grandparents weren't allowed to vote mm. and, you know, all these issues are still there. Um, but Maori Parliament, you know, they have people in Parliament that they have to have a certain amount of people in Parliament and this is how they're able to uh, rectify the situation. But, you know, they had a treaty. They mm. signed a treaty. We didn't. Mm. So um, we were moved on from our land. We were killed, raped, and, yeah. and we still, you know, see those... Um, impacts on our, on our communities and people still, you know, with displacement from country. Well, and that's, the, you know, if you were to look at, you talk about displacement, that's a perfect example. You look at, say, for example, what's happening with the Syrian people in Europe right yeah. now, all right? Some of those people will never be able to get to go back. Yep. All right, and they're going to be living in cultures that are imposed upon them. Say somehow for another, you're a five-year-old kid and you, your parents just took you and now you're in France. Yep. Or no, let's, let's say for another, let's say Germany, okay? You're in Germany. Yep. All right. Uh, France is the largest um, Muslim population outside of uh, the, the Middle East, so let's go to Germany. Suddenly you're in this country that's com completely different to your country. Yep. Food's different. Expectations of society are different. Ways people treat different sexes are different. Yep. It's all completely different. Of course you're going to feel weird. Exactly. And, and that weirdness is going to come out in, it might come out in being insular, but it might come out in, in anger. Yep. And... I totally get it. Yep. If you're angry about that yep. as as a young adult, yep. you know, of course there's anger there. Yep. How do you how do you do? It? My mum is a doctor, and she worked for a while in um, in indigenous health here in Anala back yep. in the back in the 80s, and I remember she talked about just dealing with you know young guys who are just angry. Yep. And yep. I I fucking get it, man. Yep. Like if you if you look on TV and you don't see anyone that looks like you. If you look at every ad, every billboard, there's never anyone that's no. not white. And anyone that has anything to do with what you look like is considered not as cool, not as good, not as worthy of even a vote. Yep. Any kind of dominance is resisted by yep. anybody. Yep. All right? And that's all dominance. Yep. 
all that is all dominance. And so of course there's going to be anger. Of course there's going to be upset. Of course someone's going to be angry. That, how do you face that when you're dealing with, say, for example, you get an intervention in and suddenly you're faced with this, you know, 13-year-old guy or girl who's just fuming yep. and they feel futile. Yep. What do you do? I mean, you've got to talk about your story. I mean, you've got to, you've got to reassure them that it's, it's brighter on the other side. You've got to stick this out. You know, and like you said, um, you, you all, black people are always portrayed as the criminals. You know, we have a high population of people, you know, young men going to jail. Um, you don't see them on TV. You don't see them on um, TV shows. It just doesn't happen. So, you know, how are we supposed to aim high when we don't see a lot of our people, you know, getting up there? But we are, we, there is change. We yeah. are seeing people, you know, Arnie Linda Burney being, you know, inducted into the um, the Senate. Uh, I think it's the Senate um, or House of Reps. Um, and, you know, we, we, we're seeing people achieve um you know, massive goals and achievements, and and we've all we've all gone through it. We've all gone through some kind of racism, and when we talk about they're so angry, they're the, you know young black people are being picked up and pulled over by the police every day. You know, you know whether it's and and white people that you know non-indigenous people they just don't see that. No. It just doesn't happen to them, and the young you know, they wonder why. We hate police. We hate <laughs> government because these things have happened to us, yeah. and we see it. Um, I can I can tell you a story. Like this is only a f- what when one was I? It was maybe when I was twenty five, twenty six. I was I was DJing on a boat on the Brisbane City River. Do you have a DJ name? Um, DJ Merlin. There you go. <laughs> I don't use it too much. It was like I, I, so I was DJing on a boat on the Brisbane City River, and I've just finished work, walked into town. Um, went to Hungry Jack's, bought something to eat, and um, I saw my cousin. I said, hey, let's go have a feed, and we'll walk up to the casino, sit down, and have, have a feed. Look, hang on. So, yeah. Two black fellas look out. Clearly, black, something, that, clearly something's that, going on. Something's going down, okay? <laughs> something's going down. It's like, you know, you get that feeling when you go into Gales, Gales Station. <laughs> it's the same, same feeling. Make no you mistake. You feel my pain. You feel my two, pain. There were two whiteies <laughs> in their 30s. <laughs> okay. Wearing singlets. That's probably scarier. Yeah. There were two white blokes in their 30s wearing singlets in the middle of the day. Yeah. They're the kind of guy that's got the cigarette in his mouth and the lighter ready to go as yeah. the train doors are opening. You know, that, I was like, oh, fuck. And I've got a, mechanic, I've got a folding bike, so I'm putting my bike together yeah. uh, really quick. Yeah. <laughs> so you go to the casino. You go to the casino. Just go sit down. I'm not drinking. I just finished work. And... Um, you know, I, I saw a few of the brothers come past. I said, oh, hey, he's gone. Um, yeah, all good. Um, they had a bit of a chat. and Then they sort of started walking away. Next minute, 10 cop cars come out of nowhere. Um, me and my cousin are in handcuffs. They pulled their guns. Um, so the main road there um, near the, the casino, yeah. um, I think it was George Street maybe, blocked off. And we're being questioned walking getting walked to the the uh, police car and, and they say, we know what you did, you were in a fight earlier, didn't even ask us any questions, what's, what we've been up to, and just yeah, in handcuffs, yeah, you're going to jail, go on the watch house, you're going to have a good night in there. And I said, mate, I just finished work, I don't know what you're talking about, and they just didn't want a bar of it. And, I mean, it's like, how, how, how are these guys, how, how, are the, how are the police just not asking this question? You're just, just talking to me like a, a man. You know, what's happening tonight? Where have you been? And to have guns pulled on you is just ridiculous. We live in Brisbane. You know, this is, you just don't, you don't hear this. 
You know, they had, you know, just, just ridiculous. And, and how did the, what happened? What, how well, did you get I, out of I, it? I said, mate, there's cameras everywhere. Can you have a look? Can you have a look? They had a look and they said, okay, it wasn't you guys. <laughs> you know, there were some other guys who were in a fight and, can you, and I said, okay, thanks for letting me go. Um, can you go and tell, tell them about my cousin? And they ran over and said, okay, yeah, he, it wasn't him. He's about to be driven away. And so, and in those instances, I've always been told just keep you calm. You do not talk back to police because all you want to do is get home safe. Yeah. Um, so you just say whatever you need to say, you know, tell the truth, whatever, get home safe and you're going to be fine. And I was, I was pretty pissed off. Yeah. Just so pissed off about that. And at the time, I, I, I talked to uh, a, ment- uh, an, a mentor of mine um, and I sat down I told him what happened and um, he said, you know, this is something you're going to be able to tell younger people but yeah. this is going to make you stronger. You don't, need to, you don't need to go making a big story about it but this happens and you needed to, um, you needed to live that, I mean, you need to live that encounter so you can build from it yeah. and grow from it. So you can tell people, this has happened to you. You know, we face racism every day, but where I am now, it's made me the person I am. And I, I, I don't want to blame anyone. Um, and this is, this is why I have to just be better than the next person to get where I am. And, and, and that, that's the story I've got to tell these young kids. You know, I've got to say, you know, you, you have to just tough it out. You have to be better than... Better than, you know, the next person, whoever's going for the next job or, you know, we've got dramas in our families. We've got sorry business. This always happens, but we have to be better. We have to be stronger, you know, and, and, and young kids, young kids, our young kids are, are searching for these mentors. They're searching for inspirational people who can um, be, that, be that mentor, be that person to um, get them on the, the straight and narrow, but... Be that support network. We come yeah. back to those networks of, um, you know, I have young kids who can who can come to me and say, oh, Nate, I, I need to find, um, I need to get some funding or how do I get this sporting team up and running? I want to go play. Well, I can give them some ideas and, and get them in the right, you know, back in the day, our people wouldn't have those, wouldn't yeah. have those networks. So I'm, I'm in a lucky position where I'm able to help people now. Mm. That's I always I want to talk for like five hours, man. <laughs> I'm not going to solve the problems of the world. Here, but no, we're not. No, I, we're I not. just I'm always I'm just so interested as to the shit that I never got taught when I was at school. Yep. And uh, I went to school up the road here, and I went to school out in Kenmore, and the stuff that I never ever ever got taught. What is one thing you wish they would teach kids in schools about um, Indigenous Australians and and what is happening in our country around that? I think. For, for me, a big thing is always Australia Day, mm. you know, being respectful that Australia Day isn't a day for us to celebrate, Indigenous people. I, I wish they would, they would teach that in schools. Um, it's a day that we look upon it's, as Invasion Day. Um, I, I, talk about, I, I, I talk about that day as being Survival Day as well. We've survived the invasion. We've survived everything. And we are, we're still here. We're still here, you know, flourishing in, in all aspects of um, careers and, and, and jobs and, and, sport and, and sport. And I wish that was, they had a, an emphasis and, and educated young kids around that because that's where it starts from. You know, when, when we come across people and, 
and they say, oh, why do you, you know, why do you always march when Australia Day is around or why do you always have to wear your shirts on Australia Day? Well, Australia Day for us means a time of when our ancestors were raped, when our ancestors were killed, when they moved, were moved on from their land. You know, our connection to land is, is so important, you know. We, we don't own the land, the land owns us. We have the spiritual connection to our land. And when you're moved from that place, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's something that it's hard to, mm. to handle, you know. And I, I wish those aspects were talked about in school. Yeah. You, you, you don't see it enough, you don't hear it enough. And, and you, 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 so the you idea that there's two sides to that yeah, story. Yeah, there's there's the story. yeah, yeah. There's two sides of the story. Yeah, that's right. There's the European, European side, side of the story. And then there's our story. Yeah. And um, I, I hate that. It's so divided on Australia Day because I would love to go out there and, you know, have a drink and, and get, get right on it um, and, and, and celebrate our culture and celebrate Australia Day, you know, because I, I love being Australian. Um, but it's just it's a day for us for, of sorrow. You know, if your whole family was slaughtered, you know, on, on, a, on a particular day and then all your mates are coming over, hey, Taking you out to get on the drink and have a, you know, play some beer pong yeah. and and really enjoy today. Are you going to feel like wanting to do that? Maybe not. No, maybe not. Yeah. Just, so, it's easy. Just it's not even historically correct. The day no. that we became a country was January first. Exactly. It's not that hard. No, no, it's not that hard at all. <laughs> it's not that and hard. It, we could easily just change the date, yeah. and it, we would be all inclusive. Yeah, and it would be just a. I think it'd be a, a momental, you know, momentum occasion yeah. for Australia, um, and I think it's needed. Um, but it's it's only going to happen if people are educated and and told that story. If people want to find out about that story, I mean, there's a book that I read. Um, Henry Reynolds wrote it. It's called The Other Side of the Frontier. Yeah, it was like that, like a like the first kind of revisionist history about um, Aboriginal resistance to yep. European invasion, and like it's a heavy read though. Yeah, it's it's a pretty dense read. If people are wanting to find out more, what 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 resources can they find? Where oh, can they go? I mean, there's there's always Aboriginal organisations in your areas. Um, I mean, I, I would just get in touch with them. Um, there's always so many really cool books that have been bought out, um, and there's always there's influential people within our community that are always talking and and holding. Um, meetings and yarning circles and stuff, and and that's how I'd try and get involved somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can um, ask me a question, and I'll, I'll help you get in. Um, if you're on Twitter, um, just get at me, and, and I'll help you get in touch with um, someone in that organisation or or that area um, that can give you a hand. But usually, NAIDOC week, you know, you always yeah. find people, um, you know, stalls, community stalls, where there's people who you can you know connect with and and yeah. just ask that question because you know. Well, like I say, it's, it's Indigenous health and Indigenous people. This is our this is our history. Yeah. This is Australia's history, you know. And um, we love representing um, our people. And 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 like I think you just you just don't want to be naive to the fact that that happened. Yeah. You know, people don't really want to be told that story because it's it's hard to hear. Yeah. It's very hard to hear. Um, so, you know, don't be scared to hear that story. Um, and and hear the misplacement of of our people and the rape and and the the killing and, and moving on of our people. So don't be scared to hear that story and just embrace it because it is our history um, and we live it every day. So, Do yeah. you think if we, in this country, if we had something like that in South Africa, if we had a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, do you think that sort of thing might help 
towards moving beyond the current situation? Yeah, I think it would. I mean, it only how long did it take for the government to say sorry? Um, and we saw we, we did see a lot of positives from that, um, and you know, a lot of healing did take place after that. Um, and th- there is still a lot of sorrow. There is still a lot of sorry uh, business that, that is connected to Australia Day. So you I mean it's it, it, it will kick kickstart the the healing process for our people and, mm. and at some stage we are going to move on as a, a country and a nation but uh, until then it, you know a few things need to change well such as what a, a treaty a constitutional uh, yeah I, I i support for me personally i support constitutional constitutional recognition um you know we're still not written into the uh, the constitution that we're the first people mm. um a uh, part of this country. It was terra nullius. Terra nullius. You know, yeah. we were, which means empty. Nobody's there. Yeah, no one's there. We're we're considered livestock. Just a small matter yeah. of hundred and fifty something yeah. different different <laughs> yeah. nations. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so I mean, for that to be still in the constitution just is mind boggling for me. You know, and um, so what would th- you like it to say? Oh, I think as an acknowledgement to say that we are the first people as part of this country. We're we were the first conservationists as part of this land, you know. Until white settlement come, we looked after the land. The land looked after us. Um, uh, and, you know, we, we talked treaty. You know, we'd love to see a treaty in the future. I, 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 don't, I can't see that happening. Um, but I think constitution, constitutional recognition is a step forward. You know, and that's very divided from our communities as well. A lot of Indigenous people don't support that. Why is that? Uh, I think they see it as a sellout. Mm-hmm. You know, we should have we should have a treaty, regardless. That should be it. That's what we want. And and maybe in the future that might happen. For but for right now, constitutional recognition is a is a, for me is the right step in the in the right direction. You know, we need to move forward, and this is um, this is going to kickstart the healing process and kickstart um, our people being recognised as the first people of Australia. Yeah. Yeah. It's a uh you talk about you talk about sorry business, and I do know there is a word that is is quite quite big, and that's the word shame. Yep. As you mentioned, your grandparents had shame about their own identity. They had shame about being Aboriginal as yep. it was. Um, do you feel that for white Australia, there is an element of shame that wants it all to just go away because yep. I really don't want to know that this beautiful house that I raised my beautiful kids on was once sacred to somebody yep. Yep. and how I feel about it when I sit on my backyard and look at my pool and look at the hill and look yep. at the trees on the other side of the hill that there were countless eons of generations of people that held this land as completely sacred and was yep. their place yep. before it got taken. Like yep. that's a, a huge thing to suddenly be associated with. And like mm. do you think that might be the case? Yeah, I <clears throat> I think shame factor is, is definitely a, a big part of it. I, I think I think I think some people just don't want to know about it because there is that shame factor, and it it is a it is a shame to hear that because it is our history and and they may be a part of it somehow you know mm. um, they might have family who have come over on those on those boats who have you know with the convicts and um, and it is sad to hear that but we we need to we need to change that mind frame. And you can only do that by education. Yeah. You know, being able to sit down with someone and, and telling them, this is how we feel. This is what's happened. This is my upbringing. And then your perspective on how Indigenous people think or seeing, them at, seeing our people at the rallies and, 
And, you know, there is still a lot of hate and, and it's sad to see, but I can understand it. I hate seeing the Australian flag being burned on Australia Day. I hate seeing that and it's by our people because um, I don't think that's the right way. It's not the right way at all. You know, you, you, you're not going to fight. You can't fight fear with fear, you know, with hate with hate. You know, you've got to educate people. And, and once you get past that, you educate people on, you know, w you know of a place of um, you know, positivity and, and, and love and in, a, in the right way, articulate yourself in the right way, I think people start turning around. Mm. And, and I still believe this. I think non-Indigenous people have, have a bigger part to play than our people in the reconciliation process and, and our people moving forward. We, we definitely do because non-Indigenous people are the ones who are making these decisions. You know, they're the ones who are you know, in government and they're the ones who are, you know, supporting grassroots community events, who are supporting, you know, I'm passionate about men's mental health, Indigenous men's mental health. So, um, you know, they're the ones who are funding that. You know, so, you know, we need these, the wider community to be a part of this journey with us. When so, you are dealing with a young man, or as you mentioned, the Indigenous men's mental health, what, you know, if someone comes to you, what do you find, what do you find works? What do you find is the thing that gives you the most success? Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, I'm always asking if they've seen the doctor, you know, they, they've seen someone. Could we have psychologists at um, our, our medical services now? And, and I guess for me it's just... Um, just having a yarn as blackfellas, you know, seeing how they're feeling on a day-to-day, -day, are they able to talk to people about their issues? Because our, our, our young men don't have these outlets. You know, our suicide rates are, are double than yeah. um, the average, which is ridiculous. You know, it's, it's so sad. And it comes back to education again, knowing, asking these young fellas, what makes you happy? If they, if they, can't, if they can't tell you what makes them happy, there's something wrong there. They don't know how to process um, depression. They don't know how to process these feelings. And because within our families, within our culture, we have so much sorry business with our extended families, our cousins. You know, we might go to 13, 13 15 funerals a year, maybe more, oh, right, which man. is ridiculous. You know, it's, it, but that's, that's how, that's our community. That's our people. That's how close we are. We always have someone passing away. And we all know someone close to us who's passed away from depression and suicide. And the strain and the impact that has on families mm. is, is tough, yeah. really tough. And, and when, when someone, a young man, when that happens to someone that they've looked up to or who is a provider for the family, a lot of the stress goes onto that young person. So mm. their whole life changes. So... You know, that they need to be able to deal with that and, and be able to process those feelings and, and what happens to the changes in life. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm, I only really work in the initial part of working with young kids and, and talking to them and talk, hearing their stories. And, and, you know, but I'm a big advocate for Movember. I'm doing that this year, trying to raise some money, and, but also awareness around it. So it's, um, it's a difficult one, though, but there's, uh, I think, What's the, also, what, or just being that person for them. Yeah. You know, being that person where now in, and reassuring them. Yeah. If you ever need, if you ever need to give me a call anytime, mm. give me a call. 
Yeah. I don't care when it's at, when it is. You just give me a call. We'll have a chat, and we'll go from there. You know, we need we need more people like you know willing to just give their time up and reassuring people in need that there is an outlet, there is support there. Yeah. Um, because I guess a lot of our Indigenous men don't feel that. And What's the? I mean, there's enough. There's a lot of talking, you know, currently, which is nice, about stigma around mental health in the in the wider community, and you know, this idea that men don't talk about their feelings, and yep. you know, what's the stigma around mental health like in the Aboriginal community? Oh, it's yeah, it's it's frown, it's definitely frowned upon. You know, you don't want to be that guy who's got a mental illness, or mm. you know, and it, but it's educating our kids and, and young men that depression is a chronic disease. Mm-hmm. You can actually seek help for it, you know, and, and understanding the symptoms around it. Our young, our young men don't know that, you know, and, and, and that's where we come in. It's important to promote and get out to the wider community, our Indigenous young men, and let them know that there are support networks out there, you know, because they don't know. They don't understand it. They don't know. They don't know these feelings of um, why they're always unhappy, why nothing makes them happy, you know, and sport should be should be one one outlet that they should be able to engage with, you know, to to get that euphoria of you know enjoying themselves. Mm. Family's supposed to do that as well, um, but if that's not happening, there's something going on. And um, depression's not enough, not talked enough about in our communities, and that's why we see these high suicide rates. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, it needs to change. Um, and my work's a part. You know, we have a. We're funded to run our programs in, in uh, Mount Isa, Brisbane and Wellington through the Movember campaign. And I, I've, mate, I've had probably 10 mates pass away from suicide. Oh, wow. and, um, and these are guys who are just confident young men who are like just you, you wouldn't think that would ever happen to them or they'd fall into a, a space, a yeah. dark space like depression and that would happen to them. So, you know... With them passing, it's very sad and it has an impact on the community and, and their people, but their, their story needs to be told as well, you know, because our young people can identify with these young men who have passed away and, you know, we, we are able to tell that story and, 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 and they're actually, hopefully they can be healed from, from their stories and, and um, learn a bit about it as well. How so. can just kind of regular suburban middle-class Australians, <laughs> how can they, how can, how can people help? Oh, I mean, there's always, there's always campaigns. Deadly choices have always, we're always running campaigns within our community and I guess you can always show support. You can come and volunteer. Uh, I mean, you can um, f- help fund. I mean, there's, uh, the wider community have got contacts with businesses and stuff who might want to be, might want to be involved somehow. And that always helps us. So, um, for example, um, with our shirts, we have these Deadly Choices shirts. I've actually got one for you here. Oh, sweet. Yeah, Thanks, man. Now. Um, here we go. It's oh, that's pretty good. That. The Queenslander one, Arthur Beetson. Oh, my goodness. Pretty cool. That is so brilliant. <laughs> oh, my God. So that's yours. So... That's like a it's like a rugby league jersey. It's a rugby league jersey. It's um it's inspired by uh, the late Arthur Beetson. Um, so, so, and so we we had this as an incentive um, for our community who go in and, so and cool. usually get a health check, yeah. and then they get a shirt. 
Then they come back and they want to get another shirt. So we have all new shirts coming out all the time and that one is a part of being part of a smoke-free program. Yeah. So it's really cool. The Queensland Rugby League came on board. So for us to be able to use the Queensland Rugby League and, and this design, it empowers our people to go out and be a part of the initiatives that we promote. Yeah. So that's how the wider community can be involved with what we're doing. If you have any ideas of wanting to be involved with what we're doing, <laughs> jump on board, get at us at Deadly Choices, and um, you know, we're always looking for support. That's and, fantastic. And, um, I mean, you can be, in part, be a part of our, our programs that are, that are out and about. We run community events out at, uh, all around Queensland, um, and especially around southeast Queensland sporting events, and um, all of our Indigenous people, it's aimed at Indigenous people, but the wider community can come and be involved and, and maybe brush up against some of, with some of our Indigenous stars and superstars and, yeah, they're always there, so, yeah. What do you like about uh, doing the TV show? League Nation? Oh, mate, I love everything about it. Um, to be on an Indigenous channel, uh, we're on SBS as well, which is really cool, um, but to be able to go on and, and be on a national TV program talking about rugby league, talking about entertainment, just blows my mind, you know, that how many Indigenous kids would want to be on this? And and I use this to sort of help my younger generation as well and, and promote them. And I was actually able to go home and, and tell a story from, from Ennisfail. But, I mean, I mean, I just love it. I love everything about it. On a Tuesday, I, I used to go in and, and um, on the show, I've got Justin Hodges on there with Hannah Hollis, Joden Perry and... Um, just being a part of that, being able to tell that story about rugby league and grassroots stories as well um, was the thing that did it for me. And I don't know how I got on there. It's like a hundred and something people went for, the, went for the gig and I have no idea how I got it because it was funny because I put the application in the day before. Yeah. My cousin was actually working for Carver Media and, and she said, you need to put in, hurry up. And I put it in and she sent me a script. Um, so I had to learn the script and I was actually shitting myself going in and doing the script and everything, so I was practising it, and they said, okay, Nathan, you're ready. So after about two hours waiting, went in, cameras, there's like a paddle, panel just waiting to ask me questions. And um, I had a chat to them, told me my involvement with sport and community. They love that, ate it all up. And they said, okay, can you do the script now? I was like, oh, what script? Just went blank. Bombed. <laughs> just, yeah. I bombed. Couldn't get through it, just struggled. And I said, guys, thanks very much for the opportunity. I hope you find something really good. I love the show. I can't wait. I really want to look, look. I'm really looking forward to the show. Congratulations. Left. They rang me. Okay. Come back. We want you in tomorrow and do some group sessions. And then, yeah, got the job after that and just loved it. Loved every second of it, you know. Yeah. Um, we've been able to interview people like Patty Mills, uh, Arnie Linda Burney, Anthony Mundine, um, and, but then also talk about some grassroots uh, mental health programs that are coming, like um, the Footprints. They run a touch football event um, each week, I think, in New Farm for the homeless. Um, uh, talk to um, the Flagstone Junior Rugby League Club um, who had just started up and they raise all this money so the kids don't only have to pay $5 each. It's a team from out Ipswich. You know, doing some really positive things. So I think for me, it's great to be able to be in that space to promote community organisations and people that wouldn't get their story told because it's so important because we're all from community. We're all from this place called community, so we need to give back somehow and this is just another way that I can and I love it, love every second of it. Mate, you make me feel 
bloody lazy. No, no you, way. Mate, you really do. No way. But no, but when I think about, but a lot of this stuff is you're giving to people that you might have never met, you yeah. might have never known, yep. and might never see again. Yeah. But there's so many. I like when I think about what I do, and I'm being totally honest here. When I think about what I do and the things that I do. Um, on my spare time, I only really ever do them for people I already know. Okay. Is I'm pretty selfish yeah. like that. No. And, I, and I think about it and I'm like, I feel I should pull my finger out. You know, it does. It does I f- there's not many people who do that much for, for their community yeah. and the society that they live in. And listening to you speak has certainly made me think again about that. Um, and certainly now that I've got, um, I've got a 12-year-old girl in my life, uh, Audrey's daughter, and, you know, I think about what it is that I want her to grow up to be and certainly to have a, 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 a humility about her place in the community and know the feeling that you get inside from helping others. Yep. You're talking and I'm thinking, I've really got to do something. <laughs> Oh, I, I, I think you do. I think you do. Everyone, everyone play, everyone's got a role to play within our community, within life, you know. Um, it doesn't matter if you're the richest person or, um, you know, every, everyone has a part to play. And I guess coming back, coming to that Indigenous side of things and that, that culture, it's, it's, not, it's not an obligation, but that's our protocol. That's our life. That's just what we do. It's you give back at some stage, um, and you know it always. You always feel good. You always feel good, of course. It, you know, and some people will do it for different reasons. But I mean, you you give back because you want to, and it's just a part of life. You know, we're we're a citizen of the earth. You know, we're a citizen of Australia. I'm a citizen of um, my my people, and. When I look back, I always say to myself, you know, when I get to the gates of heaven or wherever it is who I have to answer to, they're going to ask me, what have you done in your life for me to let you in here? Have you done enough? And we can always do more, you know, regardless of what we do. We're always busy. We can always give back somehow. And it may be very small, maybe very small, um, but as long as we give back somehow to our community, our people, I think that's all that matters. And... And there's always someone less fortunate than us, and um, you know that always that 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 do have have a story as well to be told, and um, they're the stories we need to be listening to. Mate, I'm so grateful you could come in today. <laughs> no, no, pleasure's all mine, mate. Thank mate, you very much. Whatever I can do, <laughs> yeah, you let me know. I'll hold you to that. You let me yeah. know. All right, I'm at your service. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's a guarantee. Sounds good. All right, thanks, man. Awesome, mate. Thank you. That was Nathan Apo. If you like what you heard and you want to be a part of supporting the work he's doing in the community, mobro.co, mobro.co slash deadly choices. Just pop on there and throw a couple of bucks his way for their Movember campaign. They are raising money every year. They do a, he's got some really great prizes actually. So if you donate a certain amount of money, you go in the draw for some really cool signed rugby league stuff. Um, he's got some really big patrons and people that are really looking after him that have donated a whole bunch of really great signed stuff. Uh, some pretty great memorabilia that you can win. 
by donating to Nathan's campaign. Uh, if you want to donate to me, I'm on his team, so all the money goes to him anyway. It's mobro.co slash osher. So thanks so much for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed it this week. And um, once again, thanks to everybody that's helping out on Patreon. Because without you, there's no show. I hope you're having a great time this week. Um, if you're like me, if you're a, a, a little bigger but a little less crazy, then you know, let's be a little bigger but a little less crazy together this week, eh? Have a fantastic week. I look forward to seeing where you're listening to the show when you send me those photos. And until I talk to you next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.